in is in God, in this church. And so when we give, we are giving to the Lord so that we can see, so, we can, so God's word can be spread, so people can come to know Christ, so people can get discipled. You're going to hear more about what's going on in our church a little bit later this morning. Uh, but we give this morning, sometimes in faith, sometimes painfully, sometimes hopefully with joy, where we say, Jesus, I trust you. I'm investing in the kingdom of God. We have no greater thing than to give our time and our finances to the kingdom of God. So we're going to give this morning, and we're going to do it with great joy. We serve a great, great God. Jesus, thank you that when we give to you, it doesn't go wasted, Lord. You, you can take small gifts, and you can take five bread and two fish and, make, and feed 5,000 men. Lord, you can do mighty things. We give to you this morning because we trust you, because we love you. I just ask that you would give, you bless those who do faithfully give this morning. Meet every need for everybody here. We love in your name. Amen. All right, get those pen and papers out. Get your cell phones out for calendar. I got a great list of stuff coming up. Tim Hawkins, has anyone already purchased tickets for the Tim Hawkins concert this week? Is it yeah, this week? We've got a couple. Great. If you want a carpool, be here at 5 p.m. Saturday because they're leaving a few minutes after 5. If you want a carpool, be here. The doors open at 6, but there's going to be a long line, so if you want to get good seats, you've got to be at Calvary on the north side early. If you want a carpool, be here at 5. Tonight at 5 p.m., if you are 50 and older, we have an Envision Night where we're just going to talk about what's going on with the church. And if that doesn't compel you enough to be here to hear what great things God is doing, we are serving Longhorn Barbecue. So whether your gifting is listening about Jesus or food, we're going to accommodate both. We're going to meet all needs today. So be here at 5. Again, that's intended for 50 and older, just to hear what God is doing in our church. So be here for that. On June 22nd, we are going to the Spokane Indians as a church. It's a great time. Only $10. Sign up right away uh, or see Pastor Dale and Marsha. The Summer Days event for, I don't even know what, four years now? We have done a car show or school supply giveaway in August. Every year our goal is to give 400 backpacks to children stocked full of school supplies. We need to start that process. We're already underway. If you find school supplies for a great deal, buy them, bring it in. Again, we're looking for 400 students we're wanting to prepare kids for. And in our neighborhood, we live in a neighborhood where there's a lot of children that don't have working parents. You see a lot of kids as I'm driving just around, there's just kids kind of wandering because their parents are off working. We live in an in a, in a area that children need help with school supplies. Bring those to us and we'll get those to these kids. That's a great, great way to help the, the church around here in the community. Two more, and that is converge groups. Our converge groups are our small groups. We're starting those off. We have a couple of signups kind of rolling in. If you would like to be a leader, if you would like to host some of these things, let me know. We want to get started on that, so there's going to be some more signups out right after service. And camp registration, kids camp, youth camp is coming up. Go to theintersection.info to sign up and register. There's no registration paperwork. I'm from Eugene, Oregon. We go paperless. So there's no paper. You go right online. You guys environmentalists in here? No one. No one. <laughs> we, we live in a paperless society. We're going to go online. Maybe there's a couple, a couple of hippies from Oregon around, but I, not many. So 
just a couple. So it is online at theintersection.info for camp. And we, our goal is 60 kids, and we're, we're headed that direction. It's going to be worth doing. So that's all I got. Hallelujah for Jesus. Hey, by the way, uh, Dale and Marsha Maurer are home from vacation. Yep, they've been gone for a little while on vacation. If you've missed them, here's the good news. Their next vacation is scheduled five years from now. So it'll be a little bit, and uh, it's great to have them back home. Uh, By the way, the Envision Night. There will be another occasion. It'll be early July where we'll do 49 years of age and younger, and there's reasons why we're doing both of those. It has to do with kids, children, and and trying to manage all the kids. So we're doing it uh, that cutoff uh, so that we can provide some kids things for those who are 49 years of age and younger when we do it. Now, when you come, be sure and be here by five o'clock at a table just come in here don't go in the center come in here sit at a table uh, because like about five after five the youth group is going to be serving you platefuls of lots of food from uh, longhorn barbecue and uh, we've kind of made an agreement that anybody here who's five minutes after will only get salad from the barbecue no it's not true i'm just kidding just kidding uh, no, it's going to be a marvelous time, but the, the kids are going to start actually serving the tables probably five, six minutes after five. So you definitely want to be here and at a table early and on time ready to go. And uh, then we'll share some things together that uh, I think hopefully will be enjoyable to you, certainly to me. Uh, also, want to give you an update on where we're at with the river. And we have our food bank out there, and it's every Thursday from 1 to 4. Now, I just want to remind you that in the center this morning, we got like five tables loaded with bread, and it's really good bread. And uh, if you would like to just go in there and take some bread, take what you need. There is tons of it in there. And so be sure and take some with you home if, that is, if you would uh, enjoy any of that. All, all kinds of different kinds, from hot dog buns to hamburger buns to, to the most gnarliest kind of bread you can find to uh, super whitened out with no nothing in it kind of bread. There's all kinds of it. So go in there and grab some. Uh, the, the food bank has just done a superb job, and I appreciate all of you who have volunteered uh, to be out there. And if you've never seen our riverside at the river, it's out on Euclid, just east of Harvard Road, <clears throat> just a little ways east. And uh, this, is, this is the building, and uh, we have the food bank there every Thursday from 1 to 4. So if you know anybody or if, you're, if you yourself would want to be benefited by that, stop by there. I believe that uh, there's over 40 families going there now, feeding somewhere close to 250 people. And so uh, it's been a real blessing. We thank you for all of your, your support of it. Then also, uh, we're getting ready to put this uh, big cement pad out there because we had an outdoor cooler donated uh, a cooler that we can set up on this pad a walk-in cooler that'll be a great help because there's no air conditioning in the building and uh, the food that we have to gather all week long to give out on thursday uh, can uh, as you might note with no cooling uh, we've, we've got some refrigerators and we've got some freezers and we've got a big 
cooler thing we put in but it's not enough we need a walk-in cooler we need to get it out of the room and out of there so i want to thank all of you for your giving towards that end i'm hoping that starts getting built this next uh, week so we can do it and if you have by chance if anyone has a uh, like uh, a, an air conditioning unit that kind of sits in a window doesn't matter what size it is if you have one we can borrow for a couple of weeks until the cool till the pad is put down and the cooler's set up it would be a huge huge help uh, as the that room's getting very warm with the food and it's hard to keep the food from spoiling unless you have it in a good cooler so if anyone has such a uh, that we can borrow for a couple of weeks be sure and let us know that'd be huge uh, then next thing i want to just talk to you about is is uh, the multi-site what we've been praying for working towards is ultimately establishing the intersection as a church out there it's us out there as well and uh, uh, we had a, had something come up just recently uh, that kind of fell into my lap and and uh, it is this that that many of you are aware of east point church just down the road here on sprague in the old kmart good church absolutely terrific church it's a four square denomination church which is a sister denomination to us who are an open bible in fact open bible in 1936 had split out of Foursquare and established its own denomination based upon uh, the, just the government of it. You know, there were uh, Foursquare, the headquarters of Foursquare owns all the properties of all the churches, and there were pastors who felt like you, the congregation, should own the uh, property, and Foursquare appoints the pastors. Uh, these pastors back in 1930s felt that the congregations should have some say in who's their pastor. So for just a couple of governmental reasons, these guys pulled out, but were very, very tight, close sisters denominationally. And uh, East Point, uh, just uh, a week or so ago, unfortunately, there was a little bit of a of a difficulty between uh, in the pastoral leadership and, and uh, causing uh, an agreed upon uh, deal in which one of the pastors was going to resign from the staff. In fact, he was the youth pastor there. And I've talked with the pastors at East Point and I've talked with the youth pastor who was there because ultimately um, these are all really good people and it kind of landed in our lap because about 300 people actually left the church over there and uh, so what do they do where do they go and so talking with the church uh, the pastors over there and talking with the youth pastor uh, the, all of them uh, were very supportive of us uh, adopting them and uh, being a part of the intersection uh, out and then they would make up the core of people who would become uh, our our site out there so they would be us out there uh, so what we're kind of in the process of is is if you can think of it in a couple of different ways we're we're kind of in a short period of foster parenting towards the possibility of full adoption if if it all works out and it all seems reasonable and and uh, we we seem to be able to come together 
and or you could think of it as a as a marriage where we're kind of an engagement season moving towards marriage to the possibility of that and you have this kind of little season where you're trying to make sure that it's actually workable so i want to first off invite you to be praying about it that god will lead us and guide us in it and up here you'll see on the next slide there is the pastor his name is bryce brewer he's a terrific uh, man, he's the uh, be the site pastor out there. I happen to write out there on my Harley to say uh, to get him all kind of helping get set up. This was Wednesday night. Their youth group uh, was out there Wednesday night. This is Bryce. That's inside the building. Uh, they and there it is. Last Wednesday night. That was last Wednesday night's service out there at that building. And so they are becoming us, and we are in the process of of discerning whether that can whether that really is a fit or not so really appreciate your prayers for it and in fact pastor Isaac will be out there during our second service he'll be out there and we'll see how it goes so uh, the good news is East Point is a marvelous church great pastors over there uh, that uh, I have a great friendship and relationship with and they're f- big green light yes please good people Bryce a great pastor there was just kind of more of a personality thing that probably was the deal among a couple of the pastors over there and uh, but you know it's it's God is good you think about it both Paul and Barnabas it happened to Paul and Barnabas two good and godly men who's you know and had to go separate ways and out of that God births other things so you never know how the Holy Spirit might Uh, be moving on those things I do invite you and encourage you to pray and in fact if you wouldn't mind joining with me right now let's just pray for God's best and his direction as we determine uh, where we go forward all right father we just thank you lord for your blessing and for lord all that you do the real issue lord is reaching people with the gospel of Jesus and seeing them grow and mature in you Lord, I thank you for the ministry of East Point and the pastors over there and, and Lord, the relationship we have with them. We thank you for, Lord, the impact that they have positively on this valley and discipling people and reaching people with the gospel. I pray you'd bless them, Lord, and increase their fruitfulness, Lord, as they seek to serve you, Lord, with their whole hearts. And I thank you, Lord, for Kurt Bubna, the pastor over there, and and Jeff Kennedy, another one of the pastors, Lord, and the, and the other pastors that serve on that staff. Lord, I pray that you would honor the integrity of their hearts, Lord, as they look to serve you and the congregation of East Point. And I know that, Lord, you will. Lord, as, as going forward, Lord, as, as we look towards the possible future, I pray you'd give great direction and insight and discerning, Lord, of spirits and how all that works together as, Lord, uh, the intersection at the river under the refuge related to refuge ministries lord that is a part of that all coming together lord would you just give us insight may we lord clearly see lord what you see and lord help us to take uh, intentional steps with great wisdom that lord your kingdom would grow and prosper and the lives of people lord would that are distant from you would come closer to you and that that area would be reached with the gospel of jesus We do thank you for it, Lord, in meeting every need. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So those are a couple of things uh, coming uh, that that are 
happening. And uh, we are now in the second to the last message on a series called The Book. And uh, today, we're, our memory verse is John 1 1 and verse 14a. Now, the reason we say 14a is because rather than taking the whole verse, uh, just taking the first phrase of that, of the first 14. And I'm hoping that you are really memorizing the scriptures because ultimately, this, the memorization of scripture is extremely valuable to us. As we've been talking about the book, the Bible, it's been important for us to remember and to realize that the, that the Bible is a very, very powerful uh, instrument in our life. In fact, Hebrews 4.12 says that the word of God is living and powerful sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, even to the uh, discerning of the heart and intent of your very heart. It goes right to the heart of who you are. It's a powerful, powerful instrument in our own lives as we live for God. And so there's great value we've talked about to the Word of God. And so I'm hoping that you are memorizing it and will spend some time in that. This one here, John 1, 1 and verse 14, says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, the reason that verse becomes important is because it identifies this truth, that the Word became flesh, the Word was with God, and the Word was God in the very beginning. So when you talk about the Word of God, it points to this reality that Jesus is the Word of God. And that everything related to the Bible is pointing right towards him. And so when we talk about the book, the Bible, the word of God, all of it is meant to point right to the person of Jesus. And so it helps us to keep in mind that this is not just some religious undertaking. It's not just some religious book. This is the anointed word of God that is intended to be uh, pointing right directly towards our Savior, Jesus, that we all need. Quote it with me, will you? Let's start together. John 1, 1, verse 14. You ready? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Mark that one down. Remember it. You say, well, how come we didn't do the whole of verse 14? Well, my confidence level is maybe a little bit low. I, I could do that for you, but I'm, I'm wanting you to have not such a huge piece that you don't get overwhelmed. If you get this, you will absolutely be blessed with the power of God's Word. Last week, Isaac talked about the reliability of the book. I, I understand that he did a pretty good job with it. And uh, some people have asked me to go ahead and, and retire, and not not saying that at all. Uh, Isaac uh, did a, a terrific job talking about the reliability of the book. It's an extremely important thing for us to understand because uh, there are a lot of people that don't want to admit to all of the details of their religious book, and if it's not provable, 
if it's not if it isn't reliable and if we're not honest about it then then we're believing a lie a deception it would be a hoax the greatest hoax put upon mankind if we didn't deal with it in an honest fashion and so Isaac did last week and he did, and he did a really good job and the reality of it is is that the Bible is the most reliable most proven uh, most believable book in the entire planet and in the history of this planet it has more credibility than any other manuscript ever put down in writing it is your Bible the book the word of God now what I want us to do today we're going to begin today and tomorrow excuse me today and next Sunday and then this series will be over but what we're going to begin to do is just kind of look at how the Bible is laid out it's a little bit teachy uh, and uh, but it's very important that you understand it because reality of it is and I I'm thinking you probably realize this to some extent that there are millions of Muslims in the world who are more familiar with the Quran than millions of Christians who who are who who in their familiarity with the Word of God that in fact the Bible even though we have faith in God there's a lot of people that really don't have a good handle on it and so I want to help you kind of get in a little bit of understanding about the Bible. So we're going to begin, and I just call it the table of contents. And the reason I talk, call it table of contents is because it is, is that, can you see that red dot? It, does, it doesn't white out out there? Okay, this is from my Bible. So you can see over here on the right-hand side, it says the Old Testament, because we're going to go right into the Old Testament. For on this side, the table of contents it has over here the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the entire Bible is made up of 66 books. 66 books. 39 of them are in the Old Testament, and 22 of them are in the New Testament. And uh, when you think about it, as it's 66 books, 39 old, 22 uh, excuse me, 27 in the new, did I say 22? 27, it's 39 and 27. I was thinking of my age when I said 22. The, uh, the 39 and 27, uh, when we say there are 66 books, the, um, they're not books as you and I think of books. They're really more of a collection of letters, of stories of history, of poetry, and uh, writings of wisdom, and even prophecies. And, and this collection of, of books is all about God and his work with humanity. They were, it, they were written by more than 40 authors in three languages. The three languages are Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. The Old Testament, uh, for the most part, almost entirety, is in Hebrew. There's a few chapters in uh, Daniel and in Ezra that were, read, that were written in uh, Aramaic. Uh, but for the most part, other than those few chapters in Daniel and in Ezra, the entire Old Testament is written in, in the language of, of the Hebrews, of Hebrew language. The New Testament is written uh, primarily in Greek with some Aramaic. So those are the three languages that it was originally uh, written in. 
And the, the Bible, having been written in those languages, it's, it's dealing with uh, creation and God's love for mankind and what really God was up to. It's really the story of God and us. It starts, of course, at Genesis, and it, and it begins in Genesis with, with the creation of the heavens and the earth, it ends in Revelation with the recreation of a new heaven and new earth. And so it, it goes all the way through. It's, it basically, it's, it's written fairly uh, in chronological order. Uh, there are some pieces that kind of run parallel, but it's, but it's pretty much a chronological writing. And it uh, deals with the very beginnings and God's creation and in the very end, God's recreation of a new heaven and new earth. Uh, when we talk about this uh, in terms of the Old Testament is what we're going to talk about today. The Old Testament is divided into four sections. The first section is called the law or the Torah. The Jews, the Jews call it the Torah. And the reason that it's called the Torah is because the word Torah in Hebrew means uh, teachings. And so it's, it's the teachings. And uh, the law, or the Torah, we also call it the Pentateuch. So if you ever hear the word Pentateuch, try that word on for size. Ready, set? Pentateuch. Pentateuch. You know, it's kind of a weird spelling. Pentateuch, or you know, how do you spell it? it it's, it's pronounced Pentateuch. The word Pentateuch means five books. It's a Greek word for five, pent, uh, but it means penta, uh, Pentateuch means five books. So the first section, the law, is made up of the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And those first five books. And uh, they deal with uh, God's early beginnings with mankind. So you start with the book of Genesis. The very first book uh, is the book of Genesis. And Genesis begins, of course, with God creating. And then Adam and Eve have been given uh, essentially uh, kingship over the planet under the lordship of God. And in fact, in the, in the beginning of Genesis, it says it this way, that God spoke to Adam and tells him he wants Adam to, to take dominion over this planet, meaning to rule over it. But then, as we all know, Adam and Eve came to a situation in which they disobeyed God. This is a real problem, because the Bible also tells us clearly that whoever you give yourself as a slave to obey, you become a slave to that one. So they had a choice, either obey God, or when the serpent came, now obey the serpent. They chose to disobey God and obey the devil, and in doing so, the word of God now comes to pass, and they become a slave to the one that they chose to obey. They, they literally are abdicating the rulership of this planet to Satan. So that the Bible says that now he is the prince and the power of the air, the ruler of, of, the, of this age. And so now when you look around the world and you see all the stuff, people say all the time, if God was a God of love, if God really cared, why all this stuff goes on like it does? It goes on because man 
in sin, abdicated rulership of this planet to the devil, and the devil wants to destroy everybody's faith and belief in God, and so he causes a tremendous amount of turmoil to destroy and cast doubt upon God, his existence, and his, uh, our ability to trust in the Lord and have faith in him. And so, so you have this, this really bad situation but the story of the Bible is God's redeeming our lives from that destruction. The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. And so the Bible is the story of God entering this situation in the flesh, in the person of Jesus, pain for our sins so we would not have to. So he comes as a sinless lamb to the slaughter, paying for our sins so that we could have the hope and promise of eternal life. And one day the Bible says he's coming back again, not this time as a lamb to the slaughter, but as king of kings and lord of lords who will establish again what God intended in the beginning, but even better because there's been a recreation, a stronger version because we've come through the hardships of sin and death and having put our faith in him. Genesis starts that whole story. And, and the book of Genesis has to do with three covenants that God makes with three different individuals. In essence, you could say three promises. First one was to Noah. And the second one, uh, he, uh, excuse me, the first one was to Adam. The second one was to Noah. The third one was to Abraham. And so when you get to Noah, you start seeing God making certain promises. Uh, and those promises were critical to how God would ultimately bring redemption to us all, how he, we would be saved from our sins. The last one there to Abraham, he promised Abraham that he would be the father of a nation, a father of nations. And ultimately that came about through Isaac and Jacob. And by the time you get to the end of the book of, of Genesis, there, there's now a pretty significant family that moves to Egypt. And uh, this family grows in Egypt, the Hebrew children, Israel. And uh, the Hebrew children are spending 400 years in Egypt, and the Egyptians enslave them and keep them in, in slavery and making life miserable for them. For 400 years, they are there. It's the picture of us being bound in in uh, the the in sin and death and we're trapped in that and how will God bring us out through the person of Jesus God raises up in the, in in the book of Exodus book number 2 God raises up Moses Moses is a a he's a real live guy but he's a picture of who's to come Jesus Moses raises up and he begins to bring people uh, used of God to bring people out of the slavery of Egypt, setting them free and leading them to the promised land. The result of that is, in order to make that happen, as many of you know, uh, God uses Moses to bring a number of plagues on Egypt because the Pharaoh of Egypt didn't want, didn't want to let him go. He likes having all those slaveries, those slaves. He likes keeping them there doing all the hard labor and hard work. And so God, through Moses, begins to bring about a number of different plagues, like turning all the water into blood. And there's frogs, and there's flies, and there's, there's uh, 
locust. You know, and I'm thinking about when I was a boy growing up on the Oregon coast, I loved filling my pockets full of those things. That was marvelous. But I'm telling you, the Egyptians weren't having a good time because it wasn't just their pockets full of frogs and, and flies and, and grasshoppers. Everything, everything, they were overwhelmed with them. And it was a problem until finally the last plague in which they end up having the firstborn of their, of their families all die unless the blood of the lamb was put over the doorposts. And the angel of death would come through and see the blood of the lamb over the doorposts and spare the people inside the death of their firstborn. Again, a picture of Jesus, the blood of the lamb, put upon our hearts, sparing us from eternal death, giving us the promise of eternal life. And so the story of Exodus is the people coming out of the bondage and slavery uh, that they found themselves in. In book number three, you have Leviticus. The reason it's called Leviticus is because it, of the Levites. The Levites were the priests of, the, of, the, uh, of Israel. They were the ones appointed by God to uh, take care of all the priestly responsibilities. So when Moses brought the people out of Egypt, they went to Mount Sinai and God gave them the law, all of it. And with the law, there were a number of different expectations related to feasts and, and uh, sacrifices and who's going to oversee these things and how do you pull it off. How many enjoy reading the book of Leviticus? No. <laughs> That's a hard read, isn't it? Because in our, our 21st century uh, westernized culture, we get lost in all that stuff. But it was important because it was all becoming a picture towards what God would do through the person of Jesus. And the Levites had to understand all of this, and it was their job to unpackage it and carry it all out. So, the, so uh, Leviticus became an important uh, book. Then the book four is, is Numbers. And the reason it's called Numbers is because of all the names. How many enjoy reading all those names? That's a hard read as well, without question. You're just like, this guy begot, this guy begot, this guy begot, this guy begot, this guy a million, billion, zillion years ago. And uh, who cares? You know, you're just reading all these names. You kind of feel that way. Uh, but it was an important part of God beginning to pull together a nation of people in order that ultimately the Messiah, Jesus, could come. And so numbers is the numbering of the people and ultimately giving some more of the story of the people of Israel, the Hebrew children, wandering in the wilderness for 40 years on their way to the promised land. Then you get to book number five, Deuteronomy. And uh, uh, Deuteronomy is, is basically Moses' last words to the nation. They're getting ready to go into the promised land. God said, Moses, you don't get to go, but the people are going to go, and Joshua's going to lead them. And so Moses is standing in front of the people, reminding everybody of all the things that God had done, all the things God had brought them through. He reminds them of the law, and he says to them very clearly, listen, when you get into the land, do not fall prey to the temptations that come with the people of that land. If you go their way, it will cost you, and judgment will come upon you, because sin and idolatry will be a part of your lives, and God wants to spare you for it. So 
pay attention. And he tells the people all of this, and he reminds them all of this. And at the end of Deuteronomy, the nation is now handed over to Joshua, who begins to, to get ready to lead the people into the promised land. And uh, then you get to the second section of the Old Testament. The second session, uh, section is called the history section. It's made up of 12 books. It begins with the book of Joshua. Uh, so you got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. Begins with the book of Joshua. It goes all the way through the book of Esther. 12 books in total. Those 12 books tell the historical uh, things that occurred for Israel as it was becoming a nation. And then it, it didn't pay attention to Moses. And the people began to through temptation fall away from God in rebellion to God and began to have idolatry in their life and the consequence of that is is that as God said would happen uh, their judgment the judgment of God came out the people were kicked out of the promised land uh, as Jeremiah prophesied would happen for 70 years and for 70 years they were kicked out and then they came back into the promised land after the 70 years and this 12 books tells really about a thousand years of history from joshua leading them in until we read the book of esther about a thousand years of history and so if we just take a quick glance at these uh, the first book of course is joshua and joshua is the story of their entry into the promised land it begins with the story of jericho God says, march around that city, and I'm going to give it to you, and I'm going to really shorten the story, but you know the story. They march around it. The walls cave in, and God gives them a city. And the whole book of Joshua has to do with the conquest of the promised land. They were going, doing all the battles that had to happen so that they could possess the land that God had promised would be their land. Then you get to the book of Judges. And the book of Judges is really kind of, a, is really kind of in some ways, one of my favorite books uh, in this whole part because it's really an incredible time. It's, it, the book of Judges is before there ever was a king in Israel. The, the real king of Israel was God. He was their king. And so when you look at the book of Judges, it's a picture when, when the people of Israel, when, when the Hebrew children were a, a, a confederacy of tribes kind of loosely connected to each other. Kind of like early American history when we had 13 colonies before they became the United States of America. And there's kind of a, a loose confederacy of these 13 colonies and how do they interact with each other and and it's the same way in, in the book of judges you got you've got the tribes of israel that are loosely connected but there's a big problem they keep sinning they keep doing evil in the eyes of the lord and the bible says it this way it says it says in the book of judges that the people did what was right in their own eyes and because of that God would step back out of the way and, and all kinds of stuff would come on them that would make life miserable until they finally call out to God and God would raise up a judge like Gideon or Samson or Deborah or Ehud or a number of different judges that would deliver the people. The, the, the deal is that you and I should learn from is, is that what you see today in our society 
are people who are doing and advocating for what is right in their own eyes. And when you advocate for what is right in your own eyes, you are, you are intentionally, uh, or maybe in your mind unintentionally, but it's happening, you are separating yourselves from God. And when you separate yourself from God, you are wide open to all kinds of attacks and nonsense, which the people discovered in the book of Judges. After that, you have the book of Ruth. And the book of Ruth is the story of a woman that God uses to set up the stage for the birth of God's anointed king, David, in Israel, through whom the Messiah would ultimately come, his family line. And so the, the, the book of Ruth uh, sets all that up. Uh, then you go to First and Second Samuel. And First and Second Samuel is, is when the nation now no longer is going to be a confederacy of a bunch of independent tribes, but they're starting to be pulled together. They, they say, hey, we want to be like everybody else. We want a king. And, and Samuel said, you got a king. It's God. No, 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 I, we, we know that. That's, that's great. You know, God's, God's our king. We want a human king like everybody else. Samuel said, you're, you're not going to like that. And, and so Samuel went to God, and God said, give them what they want. So they got the first king, who was Saul. Saul turned out to be a disaster in the end, and he was leading people in ways that were disobedient to God. So God then appointed, anointed his own king, King David. And 1 Samuel is the story of the conflict that was brewing between Saul and David as God was raising up the man he wanted to lead the nation. And there was this warfare going on between the guy who was trying to. It's kind of like the conflict within us when there is this conflict between our flesh and our spirit. I don't know if you ever have those conflicts. Paul said, there are times when I know what to do and I don't do it, and there are times I know what I, what I shouldn't do and I do it anyway. And there's that, that wrestling match between, is, is, are you going to follow after God or are you going to follow after the flesh? And you see that conflict brewing between Saul and David. At the end of 1 Samuel, uh, Saul gets killed. In 2 Samuel, David begins to really establish his kingdom, and he brings the nation together as one nation. When you get then to uh, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, and 2 Chronicles, it's the history of what happens after David. Uh, all the way up to and through the exile when they got kicked out of Israel. Those are the books that talk about all the different kings because after David, his son Solomon becomes king. And when Solomon is king, he starts off really well. God, uh, you know what I want from you? I don't want all the power and the riches and stuff. I want wisdom. So God gave him wisdom. He was wiser than any man on the planet. And yet he did some of the stupidest things imaginable. So if you think that it's not possible for you to have wisdom and still end up tripping over yourself, you might want to reread the story of Solomon. Because Solomon, he ended up marrying 700 wives and 300 concubines he took on. Now, what's a concubine? A concubine, people say, well, they're, they're a prostitute. Well, kind of, but not really. What they are is they are legally bound to uh, Solomon uh, like a wife would, might be, 
but they don't have all the legal uh, benefits and rights of a wife. So they have, to, they have to behave in certain ways that are wifely, but not have all the legal benefits that a normal wife would have. He's got 700 wives, 300 concubines, 1,000 women in his life. That is incredible. Now, why did he have so many wives? Well, it was because of political alliances threw wisdom out the door and he's trying to make all these political alliances but these women brought idolatrous practices of their kingdoms with them and the result is is the people begin to fall into idolatry and sin when Solomon died his son Rehoboam becomes king Rehoboam unwisely did not listen to the wisdom of older men He listened to the zeal of younger guys his age, but did not listen to the wisdom of older men. It cost him the breakup of the kingdom. So Israel as a nation broke in two. So you have the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Uh, The northern kingdom of Israel had Samaria as its capital. Judah is the southern kingdom. It has Jerusalem. Both of them have their own kings now. And these kings went off. Many of them were horribly, horribly evil until finally God said judgment is coming. The Babylonians came into uh, Judah. The Syrians had already come into uh, Israel, the northern kingdom, took the people out captive took them out of the land of promise, took them into Iraq and Iran, uh, took them into Syria, enslaved them. Their families were broke up. Husbands and wives were broke up. People didn't see their kids anymore. End of it. For 70 years, as, as Jeremiah prophesied, they were taken out of the land. At the end of the 70 years, they get to go back. That's the story of Ezra and Nehemiah. Ezra and Nehemiah is when they get to go back to the land of Israel and rebuild the temple and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Those are those, are those two guys and their stories. The last one, the book of Esther, is the story of how sometimes you find yourself in a place that you, you didn't really expect to be, but as Esther discovered, maybe she got into the place that she was for a time such as this. And she had to risk something, her very life, to be obedient to God. And so the whole history section goes from Joshua all the way through to Esther. Now, the third section is what we call the writings. And the writings are five books long. Starts at Job, goes all the way through the book of Song of Solomon. So you have Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. Those five books, it's called The Writings. It's a, it's a collection of, of, of stories, uh, writings of wisdom, and, and songs, and poems uh, that, that help people come to a more intimate understanding and relationship with God. They, they give wisdom and encouragement to live for God when things are tough. They, they answer the question, why do good people suffer? Uh, they get gets answered in this section. Uh, it also teaches that life without God uh, and, and intimacy with God is meaningless. There's just no point in living uh, without God. It, it ends up really becoming a very hollow life. And these five books, the writings, talk about those kinds of things. The last section, section number four, is the prophets. And uh, this section covers 17 books. 
And it goes all the way from Isaiah to the very last book of the Old Testament, Malachi. So, so after Song of Solomon, Isaiah. And then from Isaiah all the way through to Malachi, all of those books are the prophets. And the prophet's primary responsibility is to call people back to God. They, they're not real gentle about that at times. Prophets tend to be kind of harsh. Pa- prophets aren't oftentimes thought in pastoral fashion. Prophets don't come to give you a, a, a hug and to, to, to kind of massage things. They just come and swat you with a two-by-four. And, and the reason for that is because you're on the edge of a disaster, disaster, disaster. And so the, it's the kind of deal if you see your child out playing in the street and cars are coming and your child's two years old, you don't say, sweetheart, honey, you know, come on back now. No, you in panic scream out their name and yell for them to stop and yell for them in an almost sounding angry way to get back over here because you're wanting to get their attention and call them back. The prophets are calling people back to God because of sin. And they also, uh, many of them are also prophesying about what God is up to and what God's about to do with the coming of Jesus the first time and then what what God will do with Jesus coming the second time and establishing his kingdom forever and ever. That's the way that, that the whole Old Testament is made up. From, from Genesis all the way through to Malachi. Now, next week, what we're going to do is talk about the New Testament, but I want to read something to you from the New Testament about the Old Testament. It's out of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 6 through 13. Here's what we are told about the Old Testament. Now, these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. So, so right away, what, what now these things became our example. What things? What was written in the Old Testament. Paul is saying to the Corinthians, listen, that, that those books that, that you know as, as the Torah and, and the prophets and the writings, and you have all those in scrolls, and you, and you read those in the synagogues and the church, we have those for the specific reason to be an example. When you read those stories, pay attention to them so you don't fall prey to the same things that they did that caused them such grief. So, so they're, they're written uh, so that we don't lust after what they did. Verse seven, and do not become idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Listen, this is a clear, a clear testimony of what we see in our society today. It's all about the pleasure. It's all about what makes me happy. It's all about me. Life is about me. Even oftentimes within the context of the house of God, everywhere I, where I've had opportunity to go and meet other churches and people in other churches, I see it clearly. That brought right into the house of God, it's all about me. And and you might define it a little bit different, but it should never be about me. It's about God and his mission to redeem people's lives from destruction. And what we see here is that people were eating, drinking, and rose up to play. And what happened? A lot of negative stuff happened for them. So then Paul goes on, verse 8, nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 fell. We excuse every way we can 
uh, this morning I was watching the news early about 5.30 before I came this morning and they had a guy on who, who is a Christian he was in the military and he's a Christian man and his faith and his dad was a pastor and, and yet he's come out of the closet and he said, he said it's just a complete misunderstanding about, about homosexuality and Christianity and that it's okay and then they even played, this is on CNN, they played a, a, a preacher who was halfway up the aisle saying if you fathers have, have sons that are going that way and they, they have a limp wrist, crack their wrist you know what I'm thinking well, what a goofball. How loving is, I mean, and so they find the most stupid pastor in the United States who's, who's preaching in such stupid ways to tell people lovingly that, that the Bible is clear. Sexual immorality will destroy you. And so the, Paul says, look at, pay attention to what happened in the Old Testament. He doesn't say, well, we're in the New Testament now, so anything goes, and, and the Old Testament was the law, and, and that was a different day. No, Paul clearly says, in one day, 23,000 people died because of sexual immorality. Pay attention to it. What is sexual immorality? It's, it's any kind of sexual behavior that, ha- out, that happens outside of the covenant of one man with one woman, marriage. Outside of that, it's sexual immorality. He says, nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain as some of them. See, isn't it interesting that he puts complaining alongside of sexual immorality? It's really easy for us to point at sexual immorality. It's a whole lot harder for us to, to deal with complaining. You know, but we, listen, we have, we're gifted at that. I mean, aren't we as, as Christians? I mean, Christians, Christians are gifted at, at complaining, including myself. I, I, put, I, I have to catch myself. We, we're gifted at it. Nor complain, as some of them also complain, and were destroyed by the destroyer. When you, when you allow your mouth to be a complaining thing, you, look what it says. You're giving opportunity for Satan in your life. We need to be sure we shut that down. Uh, and don't allow the enemy to do that. Verse 11, now all these things happened to them. Why? As examples. And they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages, that's us, have come. Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. Those guys experienced it, we will as well. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will we'll also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. The admonition of the New Testament is pay attention to the Old Testament. A lot of people these days say, ignore the Old Testament. That was before Jesus and all that, and that was just the law, and it was just to the Jews. Pay no attention to it. Seriously, the New Testament says pay attention to it. Learn from it gain from it don't write off a huge section of the book because somebody has this wild idea that we now are under grace and there's all kinds of freedom and room to to sin in glorious ways and still go to heaven it's not true pay attention to the old testament stories because what happened there can have impact on our lives so so when you look at the whole book you look at the big picture. It all flows together from Genesis to Revelation to point you and I to the person of Jesus. We can't compromise on that. 
We can't water that down. We've got to know the word of God lest somebody fool us into believing something that isn't true. Know the word of God. I want you to just bow your heads with me in closing and this morning as, and as you do I want to just encourage you right where you're at to allow the Holy Spirit to impress upon you more to, to this point don't let somebody else do all the hard work of knowing the Bible for you that lies within your 5% uh, certainly it's the case 75% of what you do anybody else can do 15% of, of what you do uh, some people can do, uh, but not everybody. 5% of what you do, only you can do. Only you. Nobody can exercise for you. Nobody can love your spouse for you. You have to do that. Uh, nobody can, can uh, grow in the Lord in the knowledge of the word of God for you. You have to do that. This book is the most important and valuable thing that we have in our possession to help us stay connected to God. So you want to say to yourself, even though sometimes it's hard work, it pays off because it's powerful. It has great value. And it absolutely has been proven reliable above every other document, every other manuscript ever printed in the world. Get your hands on the Bible. Dust it off. And don't, don't let it just lay there dormant. Pick it up and read it. Study it. And when you encounter things that you don't understand, give somebody a call. That's why we use the journals, because then we're all reading the same thing, and we kind of have an ability to connect with one another. If, you know, hey, I was reading this, and you can, we can ask one another and grow together. The book is very, very important. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, and I just pray that today, Lord, that you would just continue to help us see that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And that Word begins to be inscribed upon paper for us. Though Jesus came and everything points to him, this book on paper points to him and we must listen and heed it and live it in a time and in a culture in which everybody does what's right in his own heart and lord we really need to focus on what's right in your heart and live that thank you lord for helping us thank you for making it real to us in jesus name we pray amen amen Hopefully that was helpful and not too dry. A little bit teachy this morning, but the Word of God is super valuable. The, I, today is the last day that the cafe is open. Clean it out. Eat every piece of bacon. Don't miss a one. And that table in there, even if you don't eat at the cafe, be sure and go in. There's tons of good bread in there. Go grab some bread. You think, well, I don't, I don't need bread. Listen, there is so much bread. I think if everybody took five loaves, we could probably have another congregation on a third service and still give it out. So, so be sure and stop by there, and uh, that would be a great blessing. Stan, give someone near you a good squeeze. Love you all. God bless you. See you at 5 o'clock sharp.